Well, I thought your pastor here was uh, very clever in uh, having the bishop come on the Sunday that our church's year talks about taxes in the gospel. Uh, very clever, sir, uh, indeed. Um, we're going to take a look at Matthew's gospel this morning that uh, was read to us, um, uh, where Jesus, it seems, uh, at least at a cursory look, speaks to us about what to do with our money uh, and uh, should we pay taxes or not. And then we'll think about what response uh, we can make to the Lord uh, with regards to some of these things. So will you pray with me? Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for the incredible gift of the Word of God. May your Spirit teach us as we open it together through Christ our Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles uh, with you or access to them, an electronic version, uh, you might like to open up in Matthew chapter 22 and cast your eyes down towards the second uh, portion of that chapter, which begins in verse uh, 15. Uh, in our gospel text, where are we? We're in the last week of our Lord's life. Let's set the scene. All of Israel is gathering together uh, in Jerusalem for one of the high feasts of the year, Passover, together in which they celebrate with joy and commemorate God's deliverance from the bondage of, uh, out of Egypt. So just picture that in your mind. It's the last week of our Lord's life. All of Israel are gathering together. And given these circumstances, uh, you might think, surely, that the religious leaders would be so occupied with the preparations for the Passover, so spiritually exercised in worship, seeking the face of God on this high occasion, that they would be taken up preeminently, if not exclusively, with those very important matters. But that's not what we find. We find them talking about some very earthly matters. These religious leaders, in the midst of all these preparations, have been driven to the point of distraction to discredit Jesus, to embarrass him. And ultimately, they want to get rid of him. They want to kill him. And so here they are, all Israel gathered together. It's the Feast of the Passover. In Israel today, in fact, they've just celebrated the Feast of the Passover. And um, uh, the religious leaders ought to have been focusing on worship, and yet they're there trying to discredit Jesus. So two things I want to uh, look at in this passage today. They lay a trap for Jesus, uh, and he responds, secondly, to their intended entrapment. So look with me first of all in those opening verses. Let's have a look at what they thought was this perfectly crafted trap for Jesus. Have a look with me in your Bibles. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's the trap they were setting for Jesus. And one of the most hotly contested issues, have you noticed, almost in every generation, is the question of taxes. No place more than in our own nation, whose history 
has centered around this matter. Almost every schoolchild today knows or ought to know about the Boston Tea Party and the tea tax and the stamp tax and how the great dispute over taxes was so central to much of what has taken place in our nation's war for independence. We see it rearing its head again uh, in the uh, early days of the Civil War. And so our own history as a nation has been preoccupied uh, with these sorts of questions. To whom do we pay the taxes? And how much of the tax should we pay? So this is nothing new. And in Matthew chapter 22, the Jews are presenting themselves as struggling with the same question. Where do we pay our taxes, Jesus? To whom should we pay? How much should we pay? Is it lawful, they ask, to pay taxes to Caesar? Or is it not? Interestingly, this account is given to us in all three of the Gospels. That signifies that it's very important, doesn't it? It's there in Matthew's Gospel today. We read it also in Luke's Gospel, uh, and we find it in Mark as well. And in Matthew and Mark, we're told it was the Pharisees and their disciples, and we, uh, you might have caught it this morning, it wasn't only the Pharisees, it was also the Herodians who were committed uh, to send this little committee to Jesus. The Pharisees are a rather, or were a rather a conservative group. Politically, they would have liked to have seen Rome overthrown, Caesar dethroned, Israel brought out from under the boot of, his, of Caesar's despotism. They're the right-wingers, we could call them, if you will. And then there are the Herodians. They're like the left-wingers. They were the liberals, the political opportunists. And here they are, interestingly. We know how difficult it is in this own, our own country to, to bring together the left and the right. But here they are in our gospel this morning, brought together with a common enemy. And the enemy is Jesus. Their desire was to catch him out in order to hand him over to the governor that he might kill Jesus. They're anticipating, of course, that when they ask Jesus this question about taxes, that he would stumble and they would have entrapped him and he would have been handed over and executed as a revolutionary. And so here they are. Take a look with me. Go back to your Bibles. Bibles, of course, as you know, are a lot better open than they are closed, aren't they? That's why I like to refer to them. Uh, and, of course, you can read them in your electronic versions. Just don't check the baseball scores, particularly the cricket scores, because there's an important cricket game going on this morning that I'll tell you about later. Let's have a look at verse 16 in Matthew chapter 22. We'll stay focused and I'll try and do the same. They, show, they, uh, they, uh, they uh, shower Jesus with flattery. Look at what they say. Very interesting. They say, we know that you are true and that you teach the way of God truthfully. And Jesus, we know that you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. They save us in order to somehow catch Jesus off guard with flattery. What is flattery? Flattery is the opposite of gossip. Flattery is saying to someone's face what you would never say in their absence. Gossip is saying behind somebody else's back what you would never say to their face. And it's interesting, I did this this week. 
the Bible tells us much about flattery. Listen up, here's, here's Proverbs 26. A flattering mouth works ruin. That's interesting, isn't it? Proverbs 29. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. And that's what's happening here. They're spreading a net for Jesus' feet, so they think. And Jesus, and you'll notice this in your text, he recognizes this for what it is. He's very clever, of course. Is it lawful? Is it right? Is it proper to give tribute to Caesar? Is it lawful to pay taxes, Jesus? What say you about that? You don't consider appearances, Lord. We know what you're going to say is going to be right. Simple yes or no, Jesus. Is it right or is it not? Well, let's think this through for a moment. If Jesus says, no, it's not lawful to give your money, God's money, to God's enemy, being Caesar, then the Herodians will have snagged him. And Jesus would have been likely executed as a traitor to Rome. But if he says, yes, it is lawful to pay tribute to Caesar, then the, the Pharisees have snagged him. And they'll say, look at this man, Jesus. He's a traitor to the Jewish religion. He's yielding to Caesar. So think for a moment about the geopolitics that were, that were happening here. 100 years prior to this encounter in Matthew chapter 22 between Jesus and the religious leaders, Rome had unjustly conquered what we call today the land of Israel and the Jewish people. And in Rome's great addiction to power and money, Rome had steadily and systematically expanded its borders and the people of Israel were subjugated against their will to lawful, unlawful Roman rule. That's the background here. Think about unlawful rule for a moment. Think about how it might look for us in our context. For example, if I uh, was to walk around my neighborhood uh, in Manassas, Virginia, and say to all the children of the neighborhood, well, I just want to tell you, I'm your father. I'm your father by fiat. I'm your father by decree. I'm declaring today that I'm the father of all of you, and you have to obey me as your father. Well, I would not be legitimate, would I? My declaration would be unlawful. So notice, therefore, that not all authority is lawful authority. And at the time of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 22, the Jews had a sense of that. They were living subjugated under unlawful authority. And here we have Caesar, who has unlawfully taken over Israel. He's sexually perverse. He's a murderer. He's a despot. He claims for himself deity, that is, that he is a god. He calls himself the high priest. He claims that everything that is in the bounds of Rome belongs to him. And that's the context in our text. And the religious leaders were setting a trap for Jesus 
and playing on all of that. That's the, the trap they were setting. Let's secondly have a look in your Bibles, verses 18 to 22. Let's look at how our Lord responds to this entrapment. He's, it's a very clever interchange here. Have a look with me. I'll read it through just quickly for you. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. They brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him, and they went away. Jesus is very skillful here. What he does in our text is brilliant. Verse 19, he does not even take a coin out of his own pocket. He engages those who are trying to entrap him. And he says, who's got a coin? Who here's got a coin? Ah, you've got a coin. Show me. Show me the coin. And someone obviously reaches into their purse or into their wallet and pulls out a coin. And what is it? It's a denarius. A small silver coin, which was about a tenth of an ounce. And Jesus asks a question. And as he does, he pushes the question back on them. Verse 20. Whose likeness and inscription is this? Now, it's not rocket science here, is it? It's like asking us, who's on the dollar bill? Who's on the quarter? It's not rocket science. And they answer in a word, probably with some hesitancy, Caesar's. Caesar's inscription is on the coin. You know, some of these coins, these denarius coins from Jesus' day still exist today. You can find them. You can look at them online. They're there in many museums around the world. On one side, uh, a, a, a picture that depicts the head of Caesar and an abbreviated inscription that says, Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus. And on the other side of the coin was a scription, an inscription that said, Maxim Pontiff, high priest. So let's just think this through. Here on this coin is Caesar presenting himself as God. He's presenting himself as high priest. There before the divine son of God, the great high priest, Jesus Christ, there is Caesar presenting himself blasphemously as high priest and as God. And these religious scoundrels acknowledge Caesar's blasphemous inscription on the coin, and Jesus says to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So then, who decides? Who decides what is Caesar's? And who decides what is God's? Do we decide? Does Jesus decide? Do the Herodians or the Pharisees decide? Does Caesar say what of Caesar's? And does Caesar say what is God's? Or is God the one who defines what belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God? There was much wrestling, wasn't there, about these things in the church across our country during COVID 
when the state told us when and how and where and even in what way we should worship as Christians. You and I wrestled with many of those things together during that time. But who decides that question? Does the state tell us how to worship? Or does God? In one sense, on the face of it, you have the claims of Caesar who says, all of this is mine. All of you are mine, he says to the, to the uh, people of Israel. You all belong to me. And then you have the claims of God who says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So who's right? And, and while Jesus doesn't answer their question directly here, the word of God does. And the Jews who were trying to trap Jesus knew the answer from their study of the Old Testament, trying to exegete the scripture and determine what God would have us do in this ethical question was not the spirit of what is happening here. We see that by the way the Lord answered. The Lord is the one who established governments. That's what we read in the scriptures. The Lord is the one who defines what the government's parameters are, what responsibilities belong to whom, and where allegiances lie, and what we are obligated to do in terms of our relationship to God and his law and the church. God is the one who has defined all of those things. That's why we must deep dive into the scriptures to wrestle with those things. And the Lord says, whatever lawfully belongs to Caesar... Give it to Caesar. And whatever lawfully belongs to God, give it to God. The issue here I don't see is whether we should pay taxes or not. The people standing before Jesus, attempting to entrap him, were failing to give God what was God's. And that's the main point of this text. And we miss it if we press into whether we should be paying taxes or not. Here's a coin. Jesus has the coin before him. He asks them about the inscription on the coin. On that coin, Caesar is taking for himself what does not belong to him. On that coin, Caesar claims to be God. He claims to be high priest. Render to God the things that are God's. Think about this a little bit more. If, they, um, if a thief points a gun in your face and says to you, give me your wallet, and you start having a conversation like these Herodians and you say, well, um, you actually don't have the authority to take my wallet, but I'll give it to you anyway, so here it is. And then out of fear and subjection, you are giving to the thief what is not lawful for him to take. And that's what's going on here in Matthew chapter 22. Most people have been so preoccupied with the per first part of Jesus' statement, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, that I, they have missed the main point. The main point is what follows. Jesus says to God, give to God the things that are his. And for those Jews standing there that day with Jesus, this, loaded, this was loaded theological language. They can't think in terms without thinking of Genesis chapter 1. 
verses 26 and 27, which say, where exactly is God's image found? Is it found on a coin? No. It's found in him. And you are created in his image. What is God's? You are, he's saying. What is God's? Everything is his. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. It is all his. He's saying, are you giving to God? What is God's? And Jesus sidesteps all the political diversion about Roman taxes to get to the heart of his entrappers and where they are at. And brothers and sisters, that question from Jesus must be asked of us. Because we can be, like every generation, very passionate about politics. Are we even more passionate about giving God what is God's? Are we? Truly? Look at what happens here when Jesus answers the question. We're not meant to miss this. Look in verse 22. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, these Pharisees and Herodians trying to entrap Jesus politically, they marveled. Do you see that there? And they left him and they went away. Why was what Jesus said so devastating to them? Well, he calls them hypocrites. I imagine if somebody called me a hypocrite, it would be rather devastating as well. But he's saying to them, you've taken what is secondary... And you've made it primary. You've taken what is primary and you've made those primary things, giving to God what is God, you've made those secondary. Here is the hypocrisy. Don't ask me about your obligations to Caesar when you're going to ignore the real issue. That's what Jesus is saying. You know the only reason that Caesar's boot is on your forehead is because you have refused to give God what was God's. And as a result... God has brought his judgment on you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Think of this. The Lord uses these instruments all the way through the Old Testament. Can you think of them? He uses Egypt. He uses Philistia. He uses Babylon. He uses Assyria to chasten his ancient people. You want to talk about Caesar? Let's talk about whether you're giving God what is God's. The main point of the text is not about taxes. It's about ensuring that God has the rightful claim on you. We say it in our liturgy services, and I think you have it in the service today. All that is in the heavens and the earth is yours, Lord. And of your own, we have given back to you. That's the point here. Is my chief allegiance to Christ... Are we giving God his due? You Pharisees, you hypocrites, you Herodians, you who are made in God's image, have you given your own devotion to God? That's the question for us. And it's an appropriate question. Is my life, my possessions, my time, my family, my children, my resources, everything that I am and have devoted unreservedly to Almighty God, all that is in the heavens? And the earth is yours, and of your own have I given you. Those about to be confirmed today, they will declare that their chief allegiance 
is to Christ. And so the religious leaders of Matthew chapter 22 have been spanked. Spanked by Jesus. And what do they do? Well, they hear his word. They marvel at it. And they turn and disappear. What they should have done was hear the word of the Lord and turn to Jesus Christ in repentance. Verse 22, they left him and they went away. What hypocrites. They're face to face, literally, with the one to whom everything belongs. He's right there in front of them. They looked into the face of the Lord and he's revealed himself as the incarnate son, the divine son of God. The one who has just claims to who they are and all that they have. And their response? They turn away. Here's Jesus. They seek to ensnare him. They seek to trap him. And he brilliantly and wisely and discerningly leads them to come to grips with the real truth about themselves, about ourselves, and about our relationship to the Lord. Let's pause and think about those things this morning as we pray. Almighty God in heaven, now we confess that you are the Lord omnipotent who reigns. You reign in the heavens. You reign unequal. You are the one who alone is to be given implicit total allegiance. And we confess, O Lord, our submission and devotion and obedience to you. We pray that we would walk circumspectly that we would see that every question posed to us does not warrant an answer. And grant, O Lord, that in our own relationship to Caesar, we would walk in wisdom, but we would do so with a heart that is taken fully captive to the supreme authority of Almighty God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.